Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. Good afternoon. You are very welcome to Late Lunch here on LMFM. This is Barbara Scully with you today, sitting in for Jerry Kelly. Stay with us. We have a great show lined up for you, some lovely people for you to meet and some interesting conversations ahead. And of course, we'd love to hear what you have to to say on any of these conversations. So please feel free to get in touch with us. You can send us a text or a WhatsApp to 086-1800-658. Or you can also give us a call on 041-9832-000. Well, The last week or so has been uh, a fairly momentous week for our neighbours across the water as they said a very long goodbye to their beloved Queen Elizabeth, the longest reigning monarch who reigned for over 70 years. And I'm sure that many of you here have been watching all the pomp and the ceremony of the state royal funeral in London this morning and it's, it's still obviously ongoing. And whatever you might think about monarchy, there's no doubt, but the spectacle has been and continues to be rather spectacular the pomp and the ceremony and indeed the reverence too. There's an awful lot to take in, even just as we are neighbours, if as it were, watching over the fence from next door. I've two women on the line now who are going to join me to have a, a discussion about all of this. And one woman who actually jumped over the fence and went to London earlier, well, last week, is Sarah Carey, Irish independent columnist, broadcaster and I know longtime friend of this show. Um, hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm fine. Good afternoon, Barbara. Thank you. We also have Sheila Bailey on the line. Sheila is a native of Dundalk uh, in, here in Louth and she's former CEO of the Ireland Fund for Great Britain. She spoke to Gerry actually just after Queen Elizabeth died because she has experience uh, through her work on, on several international charities. She also worked alongside Prince Philip on the 50th anniversary of the Duke of Edinburgh Awards. So she joins us again. Sheila, thanks again for your time. My pleasure. Lovely to be here. Great. It's good to have you both. Sarah, can I start with you? What was it that made you jump on a flight and head over to London last week? Well, look, Barbara, I'm a history nut anyway. I mean, my degree is in history and it's still my great passion. I read a lot of it. I listen to loads of history podcasts. And when she died, I thought this is going to be big. And this will be a moment that you tell your grandchildren about. And my son is very into it as well and the whole history of it. So probably if he hadn't said yes, I mightn't have done it. But I said to him, what do you reckon? Will we go? And he went, OK. So you'd a partner in crime to go with you. Exactly. So off we went. And we went on Wednesday morning. We were standing on the mall for the procession uh, from Buckingham Palace uh, to Westminster Hall by 11 o'clock. We were waiting there for a few hours. The weather was just beautiful. London is an amazing city. 
chatting to all the people in the crowd, saw the procession go by. It was incredible. I'm so glad I was there. And then while we hadn't intended to join the famous queue, because they have been predicting 30-hour waits, that afternoon when we checked, it looked like it wasn't going to be that bad. So we legged it down to Southwark Bridge and we did this beautiful walk with the crowd the whole way up the Thames. And for people maybe who don't know the city, like there's these gorgeous walkways each side of the Thames and you come across all the famous landmarks, London Bridge, the London Eye, looking over at the Houses of Parliament. And like I said, the weather was gorgeous. It was this beautiful atmosphere. We went over Lambeth Bridge and down into the gardens beside the Houses of Parliament. And we did that in two and a half hours. And we thought, great, this is dead easy. And then we came to a screeching halt <laughs> and we were there. We were there for four hours. And that wow. was tough because you weren't walking, like yeah. you were mostly standing. But it was well worth it. When and you went into that hall, I don't know how much it comes across on the screens. It is huge. It's a massive, massive hall. It's medieval, first built in the 12th century. That oak ceiling that they have there is the oldest and largest of its kind in Europe. And then the coffin there in the middle with the orb and the scepter and the crown and all the uniform guard around it. And we were there for when they were changing the guard. And it was then you were really hit with what this means, this sense of the divine monarchy. Because, you know, it's, as I was saying to Jerry last week, like that ceremony of coronation where they're anointed with all uh, yes. oil, that specific ceremony goes back a thousand years. Wow. And then and then the ritual of being anointing goes back to the Bible, to King Solomon. Uh, and uh, it was it was a really a great moment. Like, I'm glad I, I was there to experience And Sarah, it. while you were there queuing and walking and stopping and all the rest of it, can you tell me, first of all, what was the atmosphere like? I mean, clearly people are very sad, but the, there seems to there seems to be quite a lot of kind of positivity around. And also, did you speak to people in the queue and what was their reaction? British people to the yeah, death so of Yeah, so I made queen? a point of examining people. Of course you did. Because I was there to find out what was going on. I wouldn't say it was sad. People kept talking about, oh, people are grieving for the Queen. It was quite upbeat and polite, incredible manners. Like when we were walking along by the Thames, we didn't have wristbands until we got quite near Lambeth Bridge. And anybody could have cut in and they didn't. And you were able to go off and get a cup of tea and rejoin your spot in the queue. And everybody knew who was behind you and in front of you. And it was very respectful. Um, uh, and, and people were there because they did respect the Queen. Yeah. But also for the reason that we were there, that they knew it was a moment in history. Like, you know, she reigned for 70 years. Mm. It is an extraordinary thing. Mm. And they wanted to see it, to be a part of it. And and because she'd had such a blameless life, like it's not like, you know, yeah. she's like other members of the royal family who'd said stupid things or done stupid things. Like they really did recognise this woman had completely subordinated her entire life into her job yeah. and her role. So there was respect. But the only time I would say I saw emotion as such was when we were in the queue. There was a lady who was a a few people ahead of me. And when she did her little bow in front of the coffin, she was crying. Mm. So I often think when you see that kind of thing, there's something else going on. You know, there's I think a lot of people said it reminded them of when their own mothers died. Mm. Yeah. Um, But it was nothing like Diana. It was, you know, the hysteria that was there when Diana died. It wasn't like that. Well, of course, she didn't have the shock. I mean, Diana's death was such a huge shock as well. Um, I mean, this wasn't a shock. There's been a kind of in the same way as any person who reaches a great age you kind yeah. of anticipate what's going to happen uh, but and that- I saw and I saw t- um, what the University of Essex were doing a proper survey of who was in the queue and um, there was slight majority of conservative voters which you'd expect yeah. but a majority of remain voters as well Interesting. and um, and there were lots and lots of young people people had travelled up from the country but it was actually a surprising mix like it wasn't just kind of Brexiteer royalists yes. you know yeah, yeah. there are a lot of people were there for the same reason. A lot of tourists were there, like us, you know, who came over to be part of it. Mm. So it was a really good mix and a lovely atmosphere. We felt great, even lovely. though our legs were killing us. Yeah. Lovely. And <laughs> Sheila, you're you're obviously uh, in the UK. Were there standout moments for you from what you have either experienced personally or seen on television during all of the various different parts of this whole long ceremony over the last week? What were the standout moments for you? Oh, was the one standout moment? Gosh, I don't know. I think 
I think Sarah has captured, uh, she's captured the atmosphere incredibly well. When I, when I spoke to Jerry a week ago on Friday, I walked. Oh, I think we might have uh, we might have yeah, lost Sheila's line there. Are you still there with me, Sheila? I'm here. Can uh, you hear me? Yes, your line dropped out there just for a moment. Oh, sorry. Carry on. Um, just after I, I spoke to Jerry, I went and got flowers and walked down to Buckingham Palace and queued with everybody else to, to place my flowers. Um, the number of people, the difference of people, the nationalities, the viewpoints, where they travel from, um, everybody was just there because they wanted to, I think probably the best description is recognise what yes. Queen Elizabeth had achieved in her life. It, the, it, it, so it's quite right. It wasn't sombre. It was respectful, I think, is the key. Yeah. And um, it's been it's been an interesting kind of unifying event to have happened at a, at a particular time in, Brit, in British history where, you know, things are, are quite strained after Brexit and, and various other things. It's brought it seems to have, as an observer from over here, have brought the country together, which has got to be a positive thing. Well, I would say that was one of the things that, that the Queen achieved in her life several times. Yeah. And uh, listening to Sarah talk about her, her passion for history, <clears throat> last Thursday night in Sydney Sussex uh, College in Cambridge, uh, along with Professor Eugen, Eugenio Biagini, who is an expert in Irish economic history, uh, we hosted the Brian Lenehan Memorial Lecture, and it was delivered uh, by Jim O'Callaghan, TV. And he opened up talking about the impact the Queen's visit to Ireland in 2011 and the subsequent good feeling afterwards that has contributed so much to the success both uh, economically and socially between the two countries. Times are a bit awkward now, political difficulties come and go. But um, certainly everyone, nearly everyone, found something positive to say and to look back on her reign with with a degree of acclaim. That's an interesting point you make about the Queen's visit here in, in 2011 because I do remember at that time personally being very moved by the very deliberate uh, sy- symbolic uh, gestures that she made such as going to the Garden of Remembrance and bowing her head uh, and also speaking in Irish at, at, the, at the dinner, at the state dinner. Yes. Uh, but I also remember that back then Sinn Féin weren't having any anything to do really with the, the royal visit and I believe this morning Michelle O'Neill Neil is actually among the was among the congregation yes, at her she funeral. Absolutely, she was, and was commented on by the BBC. Interesting. So that just goes to show how things change over a short period of time, because it is in in the light of her total reign, it's a short period of time. Yeah, yeah. And Sarah, can I just come back to you? And maybe this is uh, maybe this is a question, perhaps for a little bit later on. But just briefly, tell me. I mean, we now have we now have King uh, King Charles the Third, who. I mean, one of the things about Queen Elizabeth is she was so consistent, she was so measured, she was uncontroversial. Do you think that we have more of the same for the next number of years with uh, King Charles in the post or do you think it'll be quite different? Well, look, he's been waiting for the 70 years for this moment himself, you know, and and let's face it, he's had a sad life. You know, I think yeah. everybody recognises that for all their money, it's a really horrible existence uh, <laughs> that they have to endure. And I was looking at Prince George in the funeral this morning, mm. the Abbey, and I thought that poor boy, like his whole life is preordained now. Yeah. He will spend his entire life in the public eye and anything he ever does wrong will be amplified and publicised all over the world. I mean, who'd want it? So, look, I think he'll do a good job and I know where he has been outspoken before, it's important to bear in mind, he's always been on the right side. Yeah. You know, like he, was, he was talking about the environment and agriculture and sustainability 40 years ago when people were laughing at him. Sure. So, um, so I saw there was a little bit of fuss where he was getting impatient with the pens and things like that, some of the signing ceremonies, you know, but that's small beer. I, I was, think he'll do a great job. I was wondering um, because, because Queen Elizabeth, I think, softened when she became a grandmother. Um, you know, we saw her kind of playful side in more recent Recent years, um, but I'm just wondering: does does Prince Charles prove the kind of uh, what is it like the, the the idea of the grumpy old man? He seems to get grumpier as he gets older. What do you think, Sheila? Oh, I wouldn't say so at all. No. I don't think I don't think he's grumpy. I think he will grasp. Um, 
every opportunity that comes his way. I'm not quite sure we will ever see a moment like uh, the Queen's moment with James Bond at the opening of the London Olympics. Yes. I mean, that just shows an incredible sense of humour and an ability to, to find the fun in things. But I do think he will grasp this challenge and I think he will want to make a difference. Yes. Um, I think probably the biggest change is that um, it is really with William, who now as Prince of Wales will take over the Duchy of, of, Lanc- of Cornwall and get on with, um, with all that side of things. So I think we will see change and I think we'll certainly see a slim down monarchy. Yes, yes. So you're, you're hopeful for the future that the monarchy will continue, albeit in a, in a more slimmed down version. I think if Sarah, I'm sure Sarah would agree with me if she's been there too. The outpouring of support, people travelling all over the country, some people coming in outside the country. Yeah. Um, certainly the reaction in Scotland. I'm not sure Miss Sturgeon will be too keen to go for a, a, an independence vote very soon. I think it shows that um, the vast majority of people support the monarchy. Good, good. Last word from you, Sarah. Are you positive? Yes, I am, because you look at what he's done in terms of Irish relations and mm. Northern Irish relations. Like, he came over very early on and shook hands with Jerry Adams. That's true. Now, these were the guys who blew up his much-loved uncle, you know, Lord Mountbatten. Mm. The troubles for them was not something abstract. Yes, and yes. They, and they went with it, and they made all those steps for peace just as much as anybody, when nobody would have blamed them if they tried to shy away, and they didn't. And, you know, I'm like, fine, Michelle O'Neill is at the funeral, and I really thought when I saw her shaking hands with them last week, what was it all for? 30 to 40 years of yeah. blowing people to bits, the maiming, the assassinations, and what did they get for it? Nothing. And there she is shaking hands with the king. Yeah. So well, look, like I'm glad I'm glad that they've moved on and I'm glad that they've done it, but it just shows how pointless the whole but, troubles was and all the violence was. I was quite sad about that actually. Yeah. Well so, we'll, we'll, um, we'll we'll finish on a more hopeful note that hopefully mm-hmm. uh, uh, King Charles will continue that good work started by his mum. Sheila and Sarah, can I thank you both for your time today? Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for joining us here on Late Lunch. Now stay with us because after the break we have a great competition for you. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda to Dorkin Cavan. Discover the all-new Opal Grandland with its bold design, digital cockpit, high-tech features and a choice of petrol, diesel and plug-in electric hybrid. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. And welcome back to Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully with you today. Now... Do you run for fitness or would you like to take up running? Um, And if you haven't done so, what's stopping you? Could it be the fact perhaps that you are overweight? Well, stay with us now because on the line I have Jill Angie from Philadelphia in the USA, who is a self-described fat running coach. Hello, Jill. Welcome to Late Lunch on LMFM. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's good to talk to you today. Now, your Instagram account, which has, um, I think, over 43,000 followers, says that you help fat women over 40 to start running. I want to ask you first, are there many fat women over 40 who want to run? Actually, <laughs> you'd be surprised. There are quite a few. There are quite a few. And and so let me let me take it then back to yourself personally. Why and when did you take up running yourself? I'm presuming that you, without, I, I don't wish to be in any way insulting, but I presume you fit the criteria. You're over 40. And, oh, gosh, yes. Okay. I'm, I'm 54. Oh, good woman. <laughs> okay. So when did yeah. you start and why did you start running yourself? I, I actually started running about 25 years ago and uh, I started running because I thought it would help me lose weight. And it really didn't, (laughs) Um, but I know, right? Um, But I did kind of fall in love with the sport of running along the way. And I'm I'm not a fast runner. I'm not a competitive runner. I really just do it because I love it so much. But it has given me a lot of confidence and fitness, and um, kind of empowered me to do a lot of, I don't know, like a lot of really brave things in my life. So about 10 years ago, I thought, hmm, maybe I should be helping other people do the same thing. (laughs) Excellent. And tell me, you mentioned something there that I think most people would go, what? You started running in order to um, help you lose weight, but you said it didn't help you lose weight. Talk to me about the relationship between running and weight loss. 
Yeah. I mean, running is running burns, I don't know, about a hundred calories per mile, maybe depending on how much you weigh, it might burn a little bit more if you, if you weigh a little bit more, but, um, all it takes to kind of eat back those calories is, <laughs> I don't know, like half a granola bar. <laughs> right? So yeah. I think that what happens with running is people overestimate the, the energy burn and, and then, I don't know. I'm I'm certainly not a weight loss expert. I've never um, been super successful at it, but I do know that it's a lot more cal- complicated than calories in, calories out. And I don't think running is the greatest strategy for weight loss, but it is a great strategy for building your confidence and for uh, for gaining fitness. And if you are, you know, trying to lose weight, those are certainly amazing things to help you on that journey. Talk to me about confidence, because I think uh, you said that running and starting to run gave you confidence to do other brave things in your life. And I think that's one of the things that women in particular, as we get older, because I suppose our our society is so obsessed, number one, with youth and number two, with a a very strange perception of, of how we should look at any particular time in our life. And I think, therefore, that women, as we age, lose confidence. So talk to me about when was that something that surprised you when you started running, that it made you feel more confident? confident and was it that it made you feel more confident in other areas of your life as well? Yeah, so it did surprise me because when I first started running, I had a lot of shame about how my body looked. So I would run after dark oh, <laughs> in my neighborhood so no one could see me. Um, but then I, I just started to feel so empowered and so powerful. I thought if I'm fat and I could do this, like maybe maybe there's nothing wrong with my body maybe actually being fat isn't the worst thing in the world and so once i stopped having a lot of shame about how i looked and started realizing like oh that's just it's just my body like it doesn't make me any less worthy as a person i started asking for promotions at work and i started just kind of becoming a little more bold in, you know, making new friends and trying new things. And I I signed up for a half marathon. Uh, I signed up for a triathlon, which that, oh my goodness, that was a very bold and courageous move. Um, Because I was, everybody was like super thin. I was literally the only fat person at this, at this triathlon. Um, And so, yeah, it kind of, it surprised me because I thought that what I was going to get out of it was weight loss, but I got something so much more powerful. And and eventually it emboldened me to quit my job and start my own business. And your own business is the, as, as a fat running coach. Yes, that That's, is correct. <laughs> excellent. It says a lot, doesn't it, about the society we live in, that you were so self-conscious about how you looked that you ran at night. I'm just wondering, did you ever get any, because I mean, I think that's another thing that women have to deal with, especially running in urban areas. You know, did you ever get any comments or any mean remarks from just people, you know, um, when you were running? Occasionally, yes. Mm. Um, once I started, when I, once I got the courage to run in the daylight, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, occasionally there would be a, a, you know, car full of high school, teenage high school students that would yell things. And I just kind of figured, well, teenagers are jerks anyway. So um, <laughs> I don't trust their opinion. I had a lot of people who were, um, they would they would just kind of be confused because they would say, well, why are you a runner? Because, you know, you're, you're overweight or you're really slow. And what's the point? And I said, well, the point is because I love it. Yeah. <laughs> the point is because it's something that I enjoy and it helps keep me fit and it feels good in my body to do it. But yeah, I've had I'm and on Instagram, as you can imagine, I get daily comments from people, um, right. which I'm just really good with the delete button. <laughs> yeah. And the block button and the ignore yep. button and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I, I know again that, you know, what are the mistakes? Because I, I was going to say what I think one of the mistakes is that I think very often if you have got challenges like that, and I'm speaking to you as a woman who's uh, who's older than you are, and who also is not particularly slim um, and who has never liked running at all. But I I do think that a lot of women who perhaps would be tempted to run don't want to do it on their own. So they have to wait until they've got like one or two other buddies who are going to, to run with them for various reasons. Do you run alone or, or do you do you like to have other people with you outside of the running you might do in your job, if you like, for, for work? 
Yeah, no, I actually, I run alone. I prefer to run by myself. It's my just kind of time to either process my thoughts or listen to a good book or, or a good podcast or radio station. <laughs> so good. yeah, I prefer to, to run by myself for sure. Yeah, yeah. One of the other perceptions I think that people have, particularly as you get older and particularly as you might be a little bit overweight, is that running is not a good idea because it's going to be hard on your joints. What do you say about that? <laughs> oh, I have so many things to say about that. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to be brief. <laughs> Carry on. Um, but so actually, uh, weight bearing exercises and high impact exercises are actually great to build up the strength of your bones and the health of your joints. And uh, in particular, I think the the pain that most runners experience, especially if you're fat, but by the way, it happens to runners of all shapes and sizes. It's not specific just to fat runners, um, is, is knee pain and most often knee pain, it, the root cause of it is actually weakness in muscles or muscular imbalance or or kind of um, imbalance in your gait rather than an actual problem with the joint. And so what I have found, because I've had knee problems in the past, I started strength training, I went to physical therapy and, you know, I weigh well over 250 pounds. I'm not sure what that is in stone, but it's it's, it's a significant amount. And I don't have any, and I'm 54 years old and I don't have any problems with my knees. I also do have arthritis in my knees. Uh, So I, I think that there's this misconception that, that being a fat person running is going to destroy your cartilage and it's going to destroy your knees. And and that's simply not true. And there's a lot of uh, ways that you can strengthen your joints and strengthen your um, knees in particular to allow you to run. Okay. So you would suggest, would you yourself do exercises in order to strengthen your knees to support you when you're running? I, if you're if you're having actual knee pain you when you run right now, I would go to see a sports doctor and get some physical therapy. But yeah. otherwise, um, if you're not experiencing pain, then I would just start strength training. You can uh, do a YouTube search for strength training exercises for runners and come up with some uh, really simple routines that don't require any equipment, don't even require a gym. Sure. You mentioned um, uh, early on there about being ashamed of how your body looks. And I think that's a huge barrier. And I know, you know, um, for most of us, we find that the kind of the running uniform, the apparel for running, you know, is all very tight Mm -hmm. and lycra and figure hugging, which is usually not what you wear when you're a little bit overweight. You usually like the more flowing things. Um, And I know there's a trick that I use myself, actually, and I don't run, but I do walk um, and I walk a lot, which is the tying your jumper around your waist, which kind of hides your stomach (laughs) and hides your bum and hides any other thing that might, well, not any other thing, but those two bits that might wobble a lot. Is that something yeah. you find? Do you do that? I don't actually. Uh, and and the reason, there's two reasons for that. One is that I just decide, you know, hey, this is my body. And if you don't like looking at it, you can just look the other way. Yay, sister. Um, so, <laughs> um, and then the other thing is I, I really want to serve as an example of how uh, a fat woman can move through the world. And so I've just decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to wear, first of all, the gear is much more comfortable than it is to mm. like have something around your waist and constantly fussing with it. So I just wear you know, the the Lycra and the spandex. And sometimes I'll even go running in just uh, a sports bra and and shorts because it's more comfortable for me. And I just want other people to know like, hey, it's okay. Like your your body is your body and it's yeah. nothing to be ashamed of. And as one of the things, I, I'm a mother of three daughters and as one of the things I'm often mm-hmm. telling them when they're, you know, kind of having nervous breakdowns about how they look or what they should wear or how things make them look is nobody actually cares. You think loads yeah. of people are looking at you. They're actually not bothered <laughs> at all. They don't even yeah. see you. Um, you talked about speed. And again, I know from my own, um, my own trying to get fit, which I had a, uh, I think you get away with having a very um, unhealthy lifestyle until you stop getting away with it. Um, I stopped getting away with it a few years ago when I managed to get myself type 2 diabetes, which was mainly due to me not getting up off the sofa and moving and eating too many carbs. But anyway, that's another story. Um, but one of the things I did notice when I started just to walk was pain in my knee and pain in my ankles. And I met an expert who said to me, because I was trying to power walk and go fast. Yeah. And I met this expert by chance who said to me, slow down. You don't need to do it fast. Just move. And once I slowed down, it was much, much better. Is that the same with running? Uh, yeah, for sure. And I, 
I so I teach my clients what I call the run walk method, which is you run for a short period of time and then you walk to kind of recover a little bit and then you run again and and it might be running for 30 seconds, it might be running for 2 minutes, it's different for for each of my clients, but um that method kind of first of all it does it slows down um your pace a little bit and it kind of gives your body a chance to to recover so that you don't get into um I'm not sure uh my words are escaping me I've got menopause brain right now <laughs> um uh, but the bottom line is <laughs> don't worry I know yeah it basically yeah it saves a little bit of especially when you're brand new it like kind of doesn't overtax your muscles and your yeah. joints and and if you do have um you know some strength imbalances or something like that it's not going to exacerbate them so yeah so I I mean I love being a slow runner I feel like Especially if I do a race, I'm always in the back. There's never anybody in my finish line pictures. <laughs> it's like, it's a fun place to be. <laughs> you have all that picture just all for yourself. You're not yeah. fighting to get in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Now, um, the other thing which I wanted to ask you is if somebody is listening to us today who is perhaps fits the criteria that you described, the over 40 um, overweight, but would like to run, what would you uh, advise as a way to start off? Because I know here, I think it's international, we have this like couch to 5K, um, which can be difficult as well, because again, people feel they have to go from that, like from couch to 5K kind of pretty quickly. How would you advise somebody to get started if they wanted to start off themselves? Yeah, first of all, nothing against the Couch to 5K program, but it was created by a, a young man in his 20s who was uh, ran track. Ah, okay. <laughs> he was a runner. So um, I, I don't think, um, in my opinion, it's not the best program for uh, for beginners, uh, especially if you're a fat woman over 40. It's going to push you and progress you way too fast. So I suggest starting out with maybe um, get a timer, get an app, like a free app called uh, RunKeeper, which will help you mm. keep the time and run for 20 seconds and walk for a minute and run for 20 seconds and walk for a minute and do that for maybe 15 minutes. And then when that starts to feel easy, you can either do more of those run-walk intervals or you can run for 30 seconds mm. and walk for a minute and kind of build up from there. But I think the Couch mm. to 5K program goes way too fast. And can you describe to me briefly the buzz you get from from starting to achieve a little bit of, you know, being able to run when perhaps you couldn't? What is the what is the buzz? What does it feel like? Besides the fact that obviously your body will start to feel healthier. What is the buzz in your head? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of thoughts like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you do kind of get like an endorphin rushed and yeah. usually a lot of people talk about the runner's high it usually doesn't happen when you're actually running it's usually afterwards right um but it is there is a there's a feeling of pride and a feeling of uh confidence that comes with doing something that everybody tells you you shouldn't be able to do mm. um when you actually do it you're you're kind of you feel a little bit rebellious like hey look i showed you i can do this so yeah there's a lot of great thoughts that come out of it well, go you. I think that's I think that's absolutely amazing. And you know what? The more fat women we see out on the streets running or walking or doing whatever it is that you want to do, um, the less of a big kind of, oh, my God, that it might be or that the women might feel that it might be. So exactly. um, just give me your Instagram um, handle uh, again, Jill, so, so that people can follow you from here, because I know your 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 um, your Instagram account has lots of tips and, and stuff they can look back on. So how do it, they find you? Uh, yes, my Instagram is not your average runner, all one word. Not your average runner. Well, you certainly aren't your average runner. And listen, um, it was lovely to talk to you. Continued success in helping all the uh, the women who you do to get up and, and to start moving and to get fitter, because as you said, that's what it's about. It's not about losing weight. It's actually about getting fitter. Uh, Jill Angie, it was lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Good luck now. OK, um, I can see there's lots of you are uh, texting in about the uh, Don McLean ticket. So keep it coming and stay tuned as well, because I think we've something coming up a little bit later on uh, that will probably be of interest to The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda to Dorkin Cavan. Discover the all new Opal Grandland with its bold design, digital cockpit, high tech features and a choice of petrol, diesel and plug in electric hybrid. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie. 
And you're welcome back uh, to The Late Lunch uh, with Barbara Scully here today. <laughs> I'm joined on the line now by a woman who's got a bit of a flea in her ear and a bit of a thing going on. Kira Burke, how are you? Barbara, good afternoon. How are you? I uh, sure. I think I'm better than you are, Kira. Kira, first of all, tell tell the listeners who are you and what what uh, what business do you run in Dulee? Well, I run um, I run a cafe restaurant called Sage and Stone in Dulee, and um, I had the, my, the first time I've experienced it. Now, two women in this morning with uh, came in to dine in the restaurant for the breakfast uh, in their pajamas. Oh my God! When I saw this first, I thought they just came in to take a takeaway coffee away in their pajamas. Oh no! 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 Oh. No! Slippers, dressing gowns, pajamas, <laughs> and and sorry, they weren't coming from a hospital. I was they just going to ask that. Yeah, no, no, sorry, they weren't coming from a hospital, <laughs> which which might be you know uh, understandable, but uh, they weren't getting out of a camper van or a tent either. <laughs> uh, they were actually uh, getting back into their SUV uh, to go home. Now, paint us a picture. Off. How how old were these? These were two women. Is um, that what you said? I'd say in their fifties. Oh my uh, goodness! Yeah, fifties, sixties, maybe. Oh, okay. Because again, quite, quite content now. Quite so. No, you weren't. Uh, uh, we we were just like, oh my god, they're in their pajamas. So we didn't <laughs> say anything. <laughs> But I just don't want to um, set a trend. You know what I mean? Indeed. So I'm kind of nipping it in the bud, bud by putting the Facebook post uh, up to say, sorry guys, but you know, we're not going to accept people with their pyjamas. And come here. Okay, so paint me a picture. What kind of pyjamas had they on? Were they like wintry pyjamas or were they shorts well, no, and nice, sexy pyjamas? You know, like you'd have for the autumn, winter. You know, and I love fluffy pyjamas myself and I love my fluffy uh, slippers, but... I wouldn't go to a restaurant in them. No. In they... fact, I wouldn't even go down to the shop or anywhere like that with them because I just think we have stepped, stepped to another level in this country because I see people all the time at the school gates in their pyjamas. I see them at uh, in the shops getting their milk in the pyjamas. Like, dress yourself up. Like, put yourself into proper clothes. But I mean, whatever about, I can kind of, and I, I mean, I hear what you're saying and I kind of agree with you, but I can kind of understand a mammy being a bit late and everything going haywire in the morning and ending up doing the school run in her pyjamas. Or I could even well, understand. I've done it before, but I've never got out of my car. Yeah, no, true. No, yeah, I was going to no. say, I've been that I passive. I've been my, that my, woman, my dressing gown myself, but I'd be mortified to get out of my car. Yeah. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to be much, oh no, this is just as normal. And Kira, no, tell like me, you, did you talk to these women? Did you say to these women as you were serving them, what is the deal with you guys in your pyjamas? No, because you know what? I was actually gobsmacked for um, <laughs> once in my life, which I usually wouldn't be. Um, but no, I was gobsmacked and I was thinking, you know what? I don't want this happening on a regular basis. No. So I just put it up on Facebook. And, uh, and what did they so got? Maybe it was a one-off, you know, and I, I put it down as a one-off, but I'm just putting it out there that, you know. It we, better be a one-off, says Kira. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, I mean, I don't mind. But, like, I have workers that come in in boots, and if there's a farmer that comes in here with his wellies and there's a bit of shit on them, I'll tell them to leave his wellies outside. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And come here, what had they got talking about footwear? What had these two women got on their feet? Sorry, their slippers. Oh, they did have their slippers. Yeah, so they walked from their car. Now, we have a car park right outside the restaurant, so it's, it's uh, you know, it's easy to walk across, like, a little bit of cobble lock and up to the restaurant. But, um, you know, I just think now, uh, we've gone past a joke. Right? Yeah. And just put it out there that restaurants, you know, don't arrive in your slippers and your pyjamas. Yeah. It's a bit insulting. Like, I don't I don't even like, um, you know, people, I actually don't even like it into having my dressing gown on in in a hotel. Yeah. Even when you're in a, a spa. Wandering around. I fucking hate that. Yeah, yeah. I don't even like answering the door to somebody I don't know very well if you get caught in your dressing gown, yeah, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had abuse on, on Facebook already about, you know, what if she's coming home from a thing at a hospital? No, she wasn't. Yeah. So she was clearly in her and, and had a hearty breakfast, believe right. it or not. Um, no, she wasn't coming home with an injury or anything. And, uh, you know, if they had a sick or whatever and they come in, I'd say, okay, well, you know, there you go. There's you a know, reason. These were, these were hearty women, well able, and just said, you know what, let's just go out in our pyjamas. And were there other people in the cafe at the time? Did, were they getting yeah, funny looks I mean, from yeah. other people? No, they were in at first thing this morning at nine o'clock. Right, right. So I'm sure they were, I'm sure they were, um, I'm sure they were all kind of going, oh my God, look at those people. But, you know, there, were, there was a good few people here at nine o'clock. Now, there's no one here at the moment because they're all watching the Queen's speech, Barbara. Right. 
I don't um, think she's making he, a speech, is she? Well, no, not the Queen. No, hopefully not. If she was making they're a speech, I'd tell you, we'd be all watching this. Everybody's at the Queen's funeral, yeah. watching the Queen's funeral today. Yes. I have never been as quiet. And you know what? If I had closed down today, I would have been, it would have been, oh my God, I can't believe you closed down for the Queen. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. But uh, I might as well have, because the whole country is watching it. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I think you've got, I think the message, you've got the message out loud and clear. Um, so let, let us let us reaffirm that if you are in, intending on visiting in particular Sage and Stone just outside Duleague and you're intending on going in on your pyjamas, it will not be a happy experience because Kira's had enough. Is that fair? I, I, no, I'd be, I'd be sending, I'd be sending you on your way. And like, there'll be loads of people trying to, trying to, uh, trying out uh, probably now for the laugh. But yeah, no, there will be. That's what I'm afraid of, Kira. You've put the word out there now. You might have everybody arriving in their pajamas yeah, tomorrow. I might have, but you know what? They can sit outside in the car and get you're, a takeaway. So you're not, you're not going to put up with it. Good woman no, yourself. Exactly. Listen, Kira, it was great to talk to you. Thank you All so right, much Barbara, for taking the call. <laughs> Here's a bit of Harry Styles. I'm going home to watch um, the Queen. Oh, good. Enjoy. Yes. Late lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda, Dundalk, and Cavan. Discover the all new Opal Astra with its bold design, stylish looks, low running costs, and innovative technology. Get ready to go further with the new generation Astra. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie. And welcome back uh, to Late Lunch. Barbara Scully here today with you. Uh, this week is uh, Sustainable Goals Week, all of this week. And we are now going to uh, talk a little bit about how we can cut down on food waste. Apparently in Ireland, we waste an amazing amount of food uh, every year. So joining me now to talk about this are Paula Gribben from Louth County Council and also Rory Sheehan, who's the Climate Action uh, Coordinator, uh, also with uh, the County Council. Hello to both of you. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. Are you there as well, Rory? Yeah, good, 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 good. Uh, this is a great initiative, actually. The uh, Well, first of all, the Sustainable Goals Week is a, is a great idea um, and is becoming more urgent, I suppose, every year. But talking about food waste, I think, is something that everybody can get on board with. And you have some tips to share with us about how we can cut down on food waste. And I think the first tip is one which actually seems so obvious, but I wouldn't have have uh, have thought of, and that is by serving smaller portions. Yeah, that's right. Um, would you believe um, that every household in Ireland is responsible for 117 kilograms of food waste per year? Wow. And in, in money terms, that's between 400 and £1,000 per household per year that's thrown into the bin. Wow. So it's you know, we're we're talking about the current cost of living crisis and, you know, it's just a waste of money and it's also costing the earth as well because uh, the food is sent into a landfill and it doesn't harmlessly break down, but mm. it releases this methane gas, which is a greenhouse gas, and it's 25 times more potent than any than carbon dioxide. Wow. So I think it's very important that we, we look at reducing our food waste in, in very simple terms, and that's why we're running this campaign with tips. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, get that I'm really shocked. 400 to 1,000 uh, euros a year we could be saving if we just got a bit cleverer about how we um, prepare and prepare for meals, prepare meals themselves, and then, as I say, not eating too much of them. Is meal planning something then that is, is kind of very important uh, in this regard, Rory? Yeah, certainly. I mean, if you can um, sit down and think about what you're going to eat over the course of a week, um, and that give up a good shopping list, and then stick to that list when you go out shopping, then you're not going to impulse buy foods that you might need, or you're going to be less likely to buy foods that are, uh, you know, a special offer, and you buy too much of it. And then that stuff's a lot of times, you know, you might buy stuff that sits in the fridge and, and you have great intentions to eat it but by the end of the week it's reached its, its use by date and you haven't actually got around to that food but by sitting down with a good list and, uh, and sticking to that well, then you can really reduce you know, what, what you're, you're spending and that's going to save you money and it's going to reduce food waste and that's a, it's a win-win for everybody really. But it's a, it's a stepped process isn't it? I mean it starts with planning what your meals are going to be every week and then from that producing a shopping list that only, if you like, speaks to the meals that you have planned for the week and sticking uh, sticking to that. But, you know, if you get into that habit, that will make life a lot easier, especially if you're the person who's responsible for doing the grocery shopping every week. 
Yeah, it does. And, you know, and having that step, you're saying that plan and, you know, because it might be, say, Tuesday afternoon and, you know, you're going, oh, the kids are going to be home from school in half an hour. What are we going to cook for dinner? Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're left trying to think up with something on short notice and, and, you know, you cook what you have. But if you can actually sit down and do a little bit of plan and a bit of thought, you can think out what those meals are going to be and you're, and you're not having to, to come up with dinner on the fly halfway through the week when you're busy and you have to run out to football with the kids and that. <laughs> You've already got your meal planned out. It makes your life a bit easier and a bit more stress-free as well. It does. Uh, the other thing that, that you're drawing attention to, Paula, is being smart about how we store our foods. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how that helps us to reduce food waste? Yeah, well, if you store your food uh, cleverly, um, you know, um, by putting it in plastic containers, not the, the BP-free ones, mm. uh, the BPA-free ones, um, you know, you're you're more likely to use it again rather than if you just cover it over with a bit of tin foil or, you know, uh, cling film or something like that. Um, you can actually freeze those, you know, you can freeze all your leftovers and you can really be smart about that and you can freeze them individually. Mm. And even if you have done extra, you have extra onions in there or extra vegetables, you can chop those up and stick them into the food containers and stick them into the freezer. And then you can take them out and just, you know, use them. Um, as Rory was saying there, if you, if you decide you're going to uh, do some sort of meal for the kids coming in, you know. Um, so yeah, I think it's very important that you just, um, you know, once 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 they're they're sealed in an airtight container, it'll avoid spoilage and reduce the food waste. And of course, there are certain foods that you can freeze when you buy them. Um, again, to cut down on waste. I'm thinking particularly of bread, you know, which very often it's sitting in the bread bin, and then the next thing it's growing mould on it. Absolutely, yeah. Once you you can. Uh, once you say you're only going to use half your loaf, uh, you know, for over a day or two, freeze the rest of it. And, you know, it won't go stale or mouldy. It'll it'll keep there in the freezer and you can still use it slice by slice when you need it and yeah. pop it into the toaster. And yeah, so you don't have to defrost it. You can take it straight out of the freezer and into the toaster, which will do the job for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So don't 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 waste the food, you know, use it up, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's really, I mean, so much around climate action and uh, going towards a more sustainable uh, way of life is about us undoing really bad habits that we have gotten into over the last few decades because we just weren't kind of concerned about these type of things, isn't it? Um, You also talk about, tell me this, and I'm going to ask you both to be honest on this. Do you both go to restaurants and bring your own containers in which you can bring home any leftovers that might be useful? You know, I, I I would love to say that I do that, but I don't think I have ever brought my own container to a restaurant. Um, <laughs> and I I, <laughs> I do make an effort to try and eat as much as I can of my food in the restaurant. But yeah, it, it's not something I suppose that we would have a, a culture of. But if you you know, if you watch American TV, mm. you would always see uh, people taking food home and they might even make a little decorative swan out of some tinfoil for your leftovers. But it's not something in Ireland that I don't think we're as confident to ask for, you know. I think I think you're right. I think we the one thing that we do tend to ask for is pizza. If there's pizza, if you've had pizza in a restaurant and there's some slices left over, I think we all think that's perfectly okay to walk out of the restaurant with your pizza box with your leftover slices in it. But I think we're very slow to ask to to take other food away with us, and and that is something I presume that we we all need to. Does eating in season also help us to cut down on food waste? Yes, eating seasonal produce will ensure that your pocket benefits. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely good. And of course, this season is uh, all about berries and apples and potatoes and all of that good stuff. Listen, there's loads of food for thought there. Thank you very much, both of you, for joining us. I think this is something we can all uh, do better at. Um, So thank you for joining us. Um, that That was Paula Gribben and Rory Sheehan. And now taking us into the news, we have a little bit of... Bon Jovi. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda to Dock and Cabin. Discover the all-new Opal Astra with its bold design, stylish looks, low running costs and innovative technology. Get ready to go further with the new generation Astra. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie. 
Welcome back to Late Lunch with me, Barbara Scully. And thank you to so many of you who were texting and WhatsApping in looking for those tickets to the Don McLean concert um, on Friday, the 7th of October in the Three Arena in Dublin. I am delighted to tell you, Mary Kelly, if you're still listening, which I hope you are in Summerhill there, that you are the winner of today's pair of tickets. And um, so I hope that you will enjoy going along to see the legendary singer-songwriter Don McLean in Dublin on Friday, the 7th of October. Congratulations to you. And Don McLean is our Artist of the Week this week. Don McLean was born on October 2nd in 1945 in New Rochelle in New York. His father was Scottish, his mother was, well, of Scottish origin and his mother was Italian. By the age of five, apparently, he developed an interest in all kinds of music and would spend hours listening to the radio and to records that were around the house. He did suffer from childhood asthma, which meant he missed long periods of school. And although that didn't help his studies, um, his love of music was allowed to flourish. As a teenager, he purchased his first guitar and took voice lessons, which were paid for by his sister. I hope he's paid her back for those voice lessons at this stage. But these lessons combined with running, walking and swimming helped him to overcome his asthma and develop good breath control, something he would need later on. He was determined to become a professional musician and singer and at 16 was already making contacts in the music business and recorded his first studio sessions. After leaving college in Villanova, he started a six year period during which he performed at various venues alongside artists like Steppenwolf, uh, Pete Seeger and and Janice Ian. In 1969, he recorded his first album, Tapestry, in Berkeley, California. And among the songs on that album was the song Castles in the Air, although it didn't become a hit until Tapestry was re-released following the success of the singles American Pie and Vincent in 1972. One of the things that I love most about Don McLean's music is the fact that he's a superb lyricist. His melodies are beautiful, but the words of his songs are great. Castles in the Air describes a man who is unsatisfied with and weary of his urban lifestyle. Although native to the city, he decides to forsake his urban castle in the air, which I presume, you know, refers to a high rise apartment somewhere. But he not only decides to forsake his apartment, he also decides to forsake his love interest. It's where it all goes a little bit dark uh, because his desire for and love of country life, he decides to seek a new woman who would share uh, that love with him. Um, in 1981, he re-recorded and re-released Castles in the Air and the newer version of the song was a slower ballad compared with the more upbeat, up-tempo version of the original. But as I say, it's the words that I think are beautiful. Um, and he starts off by asking if you can tell her that I told you I'm tired of castles in the air. I've got a dream I want the world to share and castle walls just lead me to despair. Now he then goes on to tell him again to say I'm asking you to say my last goodbye. So he was kind of dumping this poor woman, uh, not by email which did, wasn't around then, but by, by asking his pal to do it. That's not ideal but it doesn't matter. The song is still beautiful. This is Castles in the Air by our Artist of the Week Don McLean. Gorgeous. As I say, the words are just really beautiful, making me long for a life in the country as well. Anyway, stay with us because coming up after the break, I am going to be speaking with Kate Calvey about Bewley's Big Coffee Social for Hospice, which takes place later this week. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda to Dock and Cabin. Discover the all-new Opal Astra with its bold design, stylish looks, low running costs and innovative technology. Get ready to go further with the new generation Astra. Visit blackstonemotors.ie And you're welcome back. Now, um... This week on Thursday, the 22nd of September, one of the most well-known and indeed successful charity fundraising days is going to take place, which is the Bewley's Big Coffee Morning Social for Hospice, when all over the country there will be coffee brewing and people coming together in order to raise much needed funds for hospice services all over the country. So I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by Kate Calvey, who is the chairperson of the East Meath Hospice Group. Hi, Kate. How are you? Hi, Barbara. Nice to speak to you. And thank you very much for giving us your time today. We do appreciate it. Kate, can you tell me first a little bit about the hospice group in Eastmeath and what what you do, etc.? Well, we're we're the Eastmeath Hospice Association and we're a a committee of about 10 people. And what we do is we, our main uh, purpose is we organise a driving service for people in Eastmeath that are suffering from cancer. And we bring them to their various appointments 
be it in Dublin, Drada, Dundalk, Navin, wherever they, they have to go. A volunteer picks up the people from their home, brings them to their appointment and then collects them and brings them home. So they don't have to worry about travelling to anything. And oftentimes people are getting radiotherapy, which means they have to go up every day to get treatment for about six weeks. And that would be the average. So that would be very difficult for someone to organise with their own family. And so most people find this uh, really very helpful. So that is our our main thing. And then we also have a comfort fund to help people that might need a bit extra or might need some equipment. We organise that. Uh, The comfort fund is usually uh, we work with the palliative care team and the social workers and um, anyone that might need maybe coal or oil or sure. a taxi somewhere maybe on another occasion, you know, uh, anything that we can do to help. So the, that's basically what our purpose is at the moment. Excellent, excellent. A very practical, very practical help you're giving there to people who yeah. need it. You mentioned yeah. palliative care and really that's what hospice is all about. But I think palliative care is something that until you've uh, been close to um, somebody who has received palliative care, people don't really understand how hugely important it is yeah. uh, for people at the end of their lives. Can you tell me a little bit about palliative care and what those teams do? Well, if that wouldn't be in, co- um, in connected with anything that we would do, mm. you know, personally. But they would, when the palliative tear, care team is with you, they would be visiting you in your home, uh, trying to make you as comfortable as possible. And um, it's all more about controlling pain and keeping people at home. Right to to help them and their life there where they want to be. Okay. So if they 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 have a great team now in the Lords and in Meath and uh, it's it they say like the palliative care team also they visit people and see what whatever needs they might have you know but it's um, mainly towards the end of life end of that life. they would be there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the, I think, most interesting aspects of the Bewley's Big Coffee, uh, it's called the Coffee Social now, I see, not the Coffee yeah. Morning, um, is that the money that is raised locally stays locally. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So we have... And that's very important for people, I think, who are donating to know that oh, their money is going to help people in their own communities. Own community, definitely. Like the, they would have many in Drada, there's the Drada Hospice, and people would be donating to them. We have four venues that we've kind of run. People will also have some in their own homes, but our committee has run these for the past two years and one uh, volunteer, Linda Donnelly, up in Town, in the Strand House restaurant. She's been doing coffee morning for us for many years. And uh, so we also have um, one in White and Stamellon with Brendan Battersby there and the Lion Kiln in Julianstown with John Mackin and Tommy Carson, the proprietors, right. and Redden in Betty's Town with uh, Marina and Dennis Redden. And they're all fantastic. They give their premises. They also provide scones and help out on the day and all these venues. They're, they're excellent. So it's then, and we're not even really spending any money on these. And uh, So everything we get on the day, we'll always have a raffle. We'll go towards the hospice. And it's a nice piece, it's a nice way to raise funds, isn't it? To gather with your neighbours or your colleagues or your friends and sit down, have a chat and have a cup of coffee and as you said, have a scone as well. If people want to hold, I mean, you've mentioned there some of the events that are going on uh, in the area, which is wonderful, but it's not too late for people, I presume, to get involved if they decide to gather in their neighbours. They can still do that. Oh yeah, they can do that and um, they could donate it to us or wherever they are to their local hospice. You know, they, I think it would probably be a bit too late to get onto the uh, the um, Together for Hospice, which organises it uh, as well. You know, yeah. that they would send them out the coffee and things like that. But they certainly could, and people often do that, have it, and then later on will give us donations. Yeah, know? because you don't have to do it on the day, so you can no, do it a little no, bit later yeah. on. Any day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's really wonderful. And of course, Bewley's have been the sponsor of this since 1992, which is quite a long uh, partnership for any charity, uh, for any sponsorship, but particularly for a charity one. So fair play to Bewley's for getting involved and and for providing the much needed uh, 
uh, coffee for uh, the coffee morning. Well, listen, I wish you the very best of luck with it. I know it's a big day. In a previous life, I was responsible for setting up a very similar thing with the Alzheimer Tea Day a million years ago when I had a completely different life. So I know how hard it is to organise these, but I also know how important it is and how much you depend on the money that is raised locally. So on behalf of the community, thank you, Kate, to you and to all the volunteers in the East Meath Hospice Group for all the work you do, which I'm sure is of huge importance uh, to the people that you serve. And thank you so much for coming on today and telling us about it. Well, thank you very much for that, Barbara, for all those kind words. No, no, I mean... It was great to talk to you. Oh, good. Well, you too, you too, Gage. And have a good day on Thursday. Thanks a lot. So that's that's uh, just about it. Um, don't go away. Eddie is up next with The Drive. Um, I will be here again. You'll be delighted, I hope, to hear tomorrow at 1.30. Um, I want to thank my producer, Louise, who has been really the, 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 the stalwart behind today's production. Uh, but do join us again uh, tomorrow when we will be back at 1.30 here for The Late Lunch on LMFM. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.